Hello and welcome to the Jeep and Bubba podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, have a topic that is, you know, really gaining in popularity. And I just thought, um, with everything that's going on in the world right now with uh, coronavirus and uh, people stockpiling things, uh, I've noticed a lot of my friends are headed out camping, which is super smart in my opinion. Um, you're out in nature and in the air. Uh, and you're not in crowded places and environments and, uh, uh, you know, I think it's just a smart idea, but the, the point of overlanding and, uh, the topic today, which is overlanding is something that's really been gaining popularity here in the United States, uh, recently. And, and it's something that people are talking about more. You hear the term used a lot more, uh, than even what we heard five years ago, um, and it's not that it's new, uh, it's just that it's something that's being, that the term is being coined and phrased and is being adopted more. Uh, you know, really in the United States, uh, jeeping has only gained popularity in, in the last, uh, 10 years. So since, well, 13, going back to the four door jeep, uh, before that, uh, you really had to be committed to buying a jeep. Um, because it was a two door and, and of course you could fit your entire family in it, but it wasn't necessarily, uh, comfortable. So with the four door kind of brought the Jeep segment into overlanding, meaning you can bring the whole family along. You can fit all your camping gear. Uh, although Jeep has been the, you know, popular off-road brand in the United States. Uh, it just wasn't as practical for someone to own a Jeep as a daily driver. So when them go when they went to a four wheel drive, excuse me, when, when Jeep went to a four door, it made it um, more practical uh, for families to own a four door Jeep or to own a Wrangler. Uh, excuse me, because there's plenty of four door Jeeps like the Cherokee. Uh, so if you had that, you have the Cherokee, which is a great uh, off road platform, but really the Wrangler and the four door pattern, uh, as we've seen it, or in the four door package, as we've seen it, it has brought a pattern of families. Buying Wranglers, we you know coined the phrase now of mall crawlers and grocery getters and soccer mom jeeps that kind of thing, but really it's made it so that you know your wife or yourself could drive it every day, take the kids around, and uh, then take it off roading on the weekends. It, along with that comes the responsibility of not destroying it because you have to take your kids to school, and that's kind of led to overlanding becoming more popular in the Jeep segment as well as in the United States. I think to add to that, people uh, realized that uh, maybe what they were already doing had a name and had a genre and had a group of people, uh, especially in the Midwest and out West where there's a lot of uh, land that isn't necessarily rocky or doesn't have a lot of elevation change. It's flat, but there's a lot of available land. Uh, when I lived in Michigan, there was a lot of overlanding that you could do. There's a lot in Wisconsin and uh, Indiana, uh, out west in uh, Washington. I know they have hundreds of miles of trails that, um, in Washington, they have elevation change, but aren't necessarily rock crawling trails uh, in particular places. And so you can cover a lot of land, uh, but not necessarily, um, have to do anything that's gonna, I mean, anytime you go off road, you're potentially at risk, but you're not raising that risk level as high as we think of when we're, uh, going rock bouncing or rock crawling and going to a park or going to like the Rubicon or Moab or something like that, uh, where we know that the risk is at a nine or 10 scale versus one, two or three. 
you know, with overlanding. And I think that's the big draw to a lot of people. Not only that, some people prefer to cover more miles. Some people prefer the idea of an adventure and getting further away from civilization. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe being a day or two drive away from help makes you really more have to be more self-reliant. It makes your vehicle have to be in tip-top shape. Um, that's overlanding in the United States. Overlanding has existed all over the world uh, really now for a 100 years or so. And uh, typically I don't have my laptop in front of me, but I put my laptop in front of me for this particular podcast because what I want to do is actually read a couple definitions and read a couple short excerpts um, that I pulled up online. And it's not that I didn't know some of this information, although I did learn some information while doing this. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss out any information. Um, and I'm sure someone who's been an overlander from day one will be like, no, 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 you forgot this. This is overlanding in Jeep and Bubba's opinion and how I've observed it um, from my standpoint and in the industry. But I just wanted to uh, to look up some things. And, and one thing I heard recently, uh, segueing into this segment where I'm looking at this information, is I heard that uh, overlanding is just uh, the evolution of touring. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the term touring before, but touring, uh, well, I have a definition of it right here. Let me pull it up for you guys. Uh, give me one sec. We're pulling that up. Of course, I don't have the right link pulled up right at this second. Um, let me, all right, I'm going to pause this for just a second and then I'll come back to you guys. All right, guys, I was kind of freaking out there for a second, uh, cause I thought I had all my links pulled up, but you know, I like to keep it real on my YouTube videos and my podcast and I don't edit out these kind of blumbers. So I just leave them in so you know that I'm keeping it real. Anyways, uh, touring, which is obviously, um, deriving from the word tour, um, the definition of it is traveling around from place to place. That's kind of the, just the basic definition, but here's another little bit uh, better one. A long journey, including the visiting of a number of places in sequence, especially with an organized group led by a guide, uh, to travel from town to town, fulfilling engagements, to travel through to send or take from town to town. So as you can see, it's usually going from place to place with some kind of basic um, reasoning and typically in groups, but not all, but not necessarily having to be in an organized group. Um, that's just touring. Now, there's actually something called a touring car. And this term was phrased uh, back in the 20s. And... Well, the style of car actually started all the way back in the early 1900s, obviously. Um, we know that uh, the first automobiles were sort of being made in the Model T coming out in 1911. But um, in the, the 20s, there was this vehicle in style that we called a touring vehicle. And um, basically, you had two-door roadsters at the time, but a touring vehicle... Uh, was referred to a vehicle that was a little bit larger and, and could fit more people in it. Um, 
It says that the early touring cars had a tonneau cover in the rear. A lot of the, the early cars were open air cars, so like they didn't have a roof. So these would have a roof, and then later a touring car was considered something that had at least seating for four and was closed in. And uh, what this did was uh, it made it much more suitable for long driving. Uh, the modern definition uh would be like versus a sports car which is a two-door sedan is an automobile suitable for distance driving such as uh four doors and a uh, hardtop so there's a lot of different definitions out there and um basically it refers to something you know basically a four-door sedan would be the modern uh touring vehicle but uh you know it it could be any vehicle that you can carry multiple people in and that would be more suitable for traveling long distances. So uh, I've done long distances in a Mazda Miata before. It's very uncomfortable and you're over time you're wondering why you're in that vehicle. Now, if you got yourself in, you know, like a Mercedes and uh, just their four-door sedan or whatever uh, and, and we're cruising around, you would say, man, the suspension's really comfortable. I can put all my luggage in the in the trunk and uh, I can fit more people in the back easily. So that's kind of the idea. And behind that idea for what that did for automotive is a lot of the things now in cars like the GT, uh, when you see GT edition or uh, LT, uh, things like that, they usually stand for things like luxury touring or grand touring. A grand touring car uh, is a type of vehicle that is meant to be able to go high speeds, over a long distance of time. So we're thinking maybe like uh, a Porsche, uh, you know, a Bentley. Uh, if you think about a Bentley, it's got a big motor on it, but it's very comfortable and it can reach high speeds. So what does that have to do with overlanding? Well, a lot of people consider or think that basically all that overlanding is, is the evolution of touring. So People used to say, well, let's go touring, especially in Europe, where they would go from city to city, city and see different things in these vehicles. Uh, and, and again, I'm talking about this is going back early, early 1900s, almost as soon as automobile was made, people wanted to go further distances in the automobile than they did on foot. And there are a lot of crossovers between the two, and people still do modern touring uh and take touring cars, you know, maybe from England to Sweden or the Swiss Alps or whatever, you know. But, uh, or even in the United States, we might go on a road trip, so to speak. That would kind of be a version of touring. Um, but people didn't typically sleep out of their vehicles on these tours. Uh, they might use the modern hotel or motel. Some people do roadside camping, that kind of thing, but that's not necessarily where it came from. And some people look at, uh, overlanding as caravanning, uh, kind of a European term for people who take out, um, camping trailers, uh, that's, they sleep in a vehicle attached to their vehicle or out of their vehicle, uh, with tents and things like that. It's pretty close. Um, but usually those people have uh, only one place in mind that they're going. Like they're going to go to an RV park and stay there. Let's get into overlanding. Overlanding actually uh, originally, historically originated in Australia. And uh, the term denoted from uh, driving of livestock. 
typically, they were taking cattle from you know one place in Australia to the other. If you don't know that much about Australia, which I'm sure a lot of people do after we've had these fires this year, uh, most of the people habitat or have live <laughs> on the coast in Australia, and then the center section of Australia, which is referred to the bush, is you know mostly desolate land. Uh, there's uh, original people uh that live there there are um like native people who live there in that area there are um you know forests there are deserts there are uh, they're just not really that inhabited and, and a lot of it is desert and um it is really hot there's a lot of animals that'll kill you uh things like that but there's a lot of uninhabited land in australia and so these cattle farmers might be opening up a new section of land or going from one place to another cattle, and they called it overlanding. And uh, uh, so a little story I was reading looking at this was from a guy, his name was John Weston. And in the early 20s, John Weston traveled from uh, Britain to Greece, and he had converted a one-ton truck, a uh, a U.S.-built commerce truck, and uh, he took it from... uh, Britain to Greece, and then he uh, also went from Europe to South Africa and uh, just traveled all over the place and outfitted this vehicle, which actually is still in existence. It's in a, a museum now, uh, but it uh, if you want to look it up, it's called the Weston Motor Caravan, but basically he took uh, just a big work truck and then built a box around it and uh, was able to take his family uh, from, to multiple places over time. He was able to travel with a little bit more luxury, uh, things like that. So people have been doing this for a long time, and it's something that has existed um, for a long time. Now, doing any research, you see that uh, it's really picked up since the 80s, and uh, there's been all kind of events that have happened, like the Camel Trophy events and things like that, uh, Dakar rallies that have not necessarily they're overlanding, but traveling long uh, distances. In vehicles, um, I'm gonna get a few more definitions. I know this is a little bit boring, but I'm gonna get a few more definitions, and then I'm gonna go back into uh, uh, more of opinion than than fact. But, uh, anyways, uh, another definition of overlanding is uh, describe self reliant adventure travel to remote destinations where the journey is the primary goal. I really like that one. Uh, that is uh, pretty much spot on. Some uh, one other definition I read said. Uh, where you might encounter different cultures. Now, I don't think that necessarily is uh, something you have to do, but uh, I think for sure it self-reliant adventure travel to remote destinations where the journey is the primary goal. So uh, for me, my first bit of overlanding was typically, well, I would say Michigan was where I really got introduced because uh, they just didn't have that much rock but they had a lot of a lot more public land than anywhere I've ever lived where you could ride all day in the Manistee Forest and, and it's just a beautiful place. Uh, you'd come across lakes that you can fish in, tons of camping, um, just beautiful areas that, that, that are fun to explore and that aren't anywhere really close to gas stations or uh, even the towns you came across didn't have much supplies. So uh, you really need to carry a lot with you. And if you're going to be camping, obviously carry the gear for that. Um, I wasn't necessarily going to get cultured while doing that. I mean, it's just 
regular old Michigan people that I'm used to, but I was definitely uh, going into remote areas, and my my journey, the goal was to get from one place to another, and having to be reliant on, you know, if I had a flat tire to change that flat tire, if I had to uh, self-recover, if I got stuck, that kind of thing. Then, yeah, that would be where I kind of got introduced to overlanding, in my opinion, what overlanding was to me. Um, but for some people, if you hop on YouTube, you can see people are overlanding. I mean, they're going from Australia to England or all the way across. Excuse me, I got to cough one second. <coughs> that was not coronavirus. <laughs> Just a little scratch in my throat. Ooh. If you look on YouTube, there are people... One of my favorite ones that's overseas is Grizzly and Bear on YouTube. And they're going all over uh, the world. I mean, they've been in uh, uh, Afghanistan. They've been in uh, Mongolia, uh, just uh, Russia recently, South Korea. And they're in Japan right now. I hope they're doing okay there. But uh, it's phenomenal what they're doing. And they're they're traveling in a Land Rover. And uh, it's just awesome. And it doesn't really matter what vehicle you choose, but... You know, obviously, when we're thinking about overlanding, we want something that's built a little bit different than a rock crawler. And uh, I don't want to get too much into what makes one this and one that. But typically, when I think of a rock crawler, I think of something with a little bit more suspension lift, uh, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half, five inches of, uh, of lift, with uh, anywhere from 33 inch tires to, you know, 40 inch plus. Uh, where that might not necessarily be the best idea for someone traveling across long distances. Uh, although you want to be as equipped as possible for anything you may encounter, uh, the bigger tires obviously are going to require more energy to move. And uh, the bigger the tire doesn't necessarily mean it's the, the best ride on the road or uh, over the road. But these are kind of basic concepts we got to think about. But if I was thinking, if someone came to me right now and said, build me an Overland uh, Jeep, you know, the new JL, JLU is a fantastic platform. I really like it with the uh, four-cylinder turbo motor because it gets such great gas mileage. Now, a negative is overseas, uh, and even in the United States, there's not a lot of parts for that motor yet. So if there is an issue, you will have to consider that. But um, the, the really nice part about it is it gets good gas mileage, which is, is a great part of, uh, if you're thinking about an Overlander, having fuel range is something you really need to consider. It's one of the reasons people uh, are nowadays looking at full-size trucks. They're doing 4Runners, Tacomas. They, they want to consider uh, something they can get parts at anywhere they might take it. It's something that has a big fuel tank and, and better gas mileage um, if possible. Also, uh, I, if I was going to build one, like I say, I would I'd build one on the GLU platform with the turbo. Uh, and then when I get look, looking at tire size, I might only go with a 33 or a 35. Now, 35 is going to get us over a lot more obstacles, but the 33 is going to give us the best gas mileage. Um, you know, it's going to be something that's you could find at a Walmart if you needed to find an extra tire. It's not going to hold you up, you know, looking for a 33. is, is more readily available uh, if you're just stopping at a tire shop. Uh, also, with a 33, like I say, it's just going to ride a little bit better. Um, and you're not going to have to add as much lift, if any, really. Uh, you may just want to change out fenders. You may just want to change out control arms. And, and if it's not a Rubicon, maybe put a sway bar disconnect. But uh, 
if you think about the bigger the tire you get, not only are you going to have to think about gearing, but also think of the weight of the actual physical tire. That's going to not only weigh the vehicle down, but when you hit a bump in the road, your shock and your springs have to try to push that back down to the road. So if the tire weighs more and the energy sends that tire up, you have more weight coming up and going down. So it's going to be a little bit more violent if you think about it in that sense. Uh, of course, when you're going to 35, you got a little more sidewall. You've got a little bit more ground clearance. So that might serve you better. Now, some people can overlay it in 37s and 40s as well. If you're geared properly, if your suspension's dialed in properly, I'm not saying you're limited. I'm just saying it's kind of nice to think of a smaller tire size uh, but just know that some of the trails you pick, you may have to take what we call the bypass or overland lines, where basically you're going to have to avoid some of the more dangerous obstacles if your goal is to get from you know where I live in Brazelton, Georgia, to uh, let's just say Nashville, Tennessee in f- uh, five or six days. Uh, and you're taking a lot of off-road trails, if you come up on a big rock obstacle, uh, you're going to think twice about it. I got a great example. If you're going to do the Georgia Traverse, and you're going to start you know, in Alabama and go to South Carolina, or vice versa, and you know you got four days to do it, if you come across a section uh, that's a little rockier, or maybe it's got some deep ruts and a lot of mud, you might say, that looks like a lot of fun, but if there's a bypass uh, or a way around it, and you're a little uncertain whether it could do damage or maybe sling mud all over your tent or make a puncture or something happen. I'm not saying you don't want to necessarily take away from your fun, but at the same time, you got to make smart choices because if you break there, you may not finish what you set out to do. And for some people, that's fine. And for others, it's disheartening because they really set out to do a certain amount of travel. And that's one thing with overlanding. Typically, you have to set up a little bit more time than you would with just a typical rock crawling weekend. A lot of my friends that are just into rock crawling, they're going to parks, uh, you know, like in my area. Uh, they might be going to Beasley. They might be going to uh, Chocolaco over in Alabama. They might be going to Adventure Off-Road Park or Wind Rock or something like that. And they're typically going to get a hotel room or they're going to camp on the property. Uh, and they're going to be there for a day or two. And then they're going to come home. If they don't break, you know, they drive home or they might bring a trailer to tow home. But in overlanding, not only do you have to get to your destination, but typically you have to get back from your destination. Um, so when you're thinking about the Georgia Traverse or there's a Trans-Wisconsin, uh, now there's guys that have put together a little bit of a Trans-Utah. There's a, a lot of uh, overlanding you can do out there in Utah. Um, my friend from Narrow Road Adventures, was, Taylor, has put together a map to do uh, – the Manistee Forest in Michigan. So if you're thinking about that, you're like, man, I not only do I need to set up travel time to get to the trailhead, to get through the trail, I also need to think what happens if something happens, if something breaks, and then also getting home from the trailhead. So you really think about, do I want to break, if, uh, you know, do I really want to splash to this mud puddle, this water crossing, if there's an easier line? And uh, I think that's when we probe into overlanding, it goes beyond these definitions, uh, and most things do. I think a lot of rock crawlers just look at uh, overlanding as car camping. And uh, in many instances, I have gone out and just drove to a campsite and uh, camped out of my Jeep, uh, 
cross country. I've slept in my Jeep before. To me, that's car camping. But overlanding is to me, uh, your vehicle's not only supporting you, and you, but you have to be self reliant and getting your vehicle. If you're by yourself or with just a small group, you really have to uh, you have to get your group to where you want to go. Otherwise, you're not going to accomplish your goal. And I, I do want to mention because I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, overlanding's not just limited to uh, you know a car or an SUV or Jeep or truck. A lot of people overland in bicycles and motorcycles. There's touring bikes. Um, the, so you can do it in anything, really. Uh, we're just kind of talking about it in the coin term that we're thinking of it here in the United States. Uh, but there's people who you know go across the entire United States uh, on bicycles and they they support themselves. There's people who go across on motorcycles uh, and they don't necessarily have to go off road. But we do sort of think of it in a, a off road four wheel drive uh, setup. Sorry guys, I had to uh, pause it again. I was uh, sitting on the couch recording and my wife and daughter uh, just came back in from a walk. So uh, <laughs> my daughter was excited to see me and uh, it would have been kind of noisy there for a second. But let me get to a little bit more of a point here. Uh, as you can see, there's a lot of information out there. There's a big history on overlanding. Uh, it's existed for a long time. There's people been doing it for a long time. Uh, and there's a lot of information out there. What I'm wanting to say is do not let that discourage you, but yet encourage you to look into overlanding. Um, kind of like I was saying, there's, there's all sorts of different types of overlanding, but for my audience, cause I know my audience, most of you own Jeeps and, uh, you don't have to have a four door Jeep. You can have a two door. A lot of guys with Jeeps now are carrying trailers or rooftop tents and things like that. And they're coming up with really good storage solutions. But where I think the most value lies for any off-road person is to dabble just a little bit, if it's your lifestyle, into overlanding. And what you might see, because I... I can, I love rock gardens. I love sections of rocks, but they do, they are, you know, when I'm going rock crawling next day, I don't sleep that well at night because I'm wondering, am I going to break, you know? And, uh, I, I sort of get a little tightness in my chest and then I do the rock crawling and about, you know, 10, 15 minutes into it, I'm totally comfortable and I'm having a great time. And I'm wondering if we're getting good video and pictures and when I'm done at the end of the day, I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe I did that. It's awesome. I accomplished this or I didn't. What do I got to do to do it next time to accomplish it? But, um, what I like about overlanding is if I'm going to go overlanding the next day, I'm not stressed at all. Uh, especially if I have the right gear in my, in my rig. Uh, and to me, the biggest value and the biggest appeal to overlanding is the fact that it's something you can really include your family in. Um, so if you're someone like me, who's got young kids or even teenage kids or kids that moved out or grandkids or whatever overlanding is fantastic because you're not putting yourselves typically in situations that, um, your family's going to be at higher risk of rollover. Now it could happen anywhere, but, uh, uh, you're not putting yourself at the same risk as if you're rock crawling or, um, mudding or, uh, whatever it is, you know, like being on a harder trail, uh, 
typically in Georgia, what overlanding means is riding forestry roads and gravel roads. And, uh, and, and there's a lot less risk in those situations, although there are risks that apply, but, um, the roads aren't as bouncy. So your kids' heads are all flopping around and you can have a, a nice time camping, uh, picnicking, that sort of thing. But the point I was getting to as well as just for any off-roader to have that little bit of overlanding knowledge, um, it can really add a high level of value if you are just a weekend rock crawler because maybe there's a little bit of gear that you would add to your uh, gear setup or, or your pack that you carry with you that if you had a breakage and you needed to camp overnight or uh, if you got stranded somewhere or if uh, you just want to, like I've gone a couple of times to off-road parks that were about three or four hours away from my house and I'll just sleep uh, at a campsite or in the parking lot or wherever. And I can make my coffee. I have my lunch and I, everything I take overlanding, I can take with me rock crawling or, uh, you know, off-roading at a park and I can camp by at for free or for low fees at a nearby campground. Uh, I was doing an event one time, uh, a CF event. There was an off-road event up in Indiana and I talked to the organizer. I'm like, do you mind if I just camp at the pavilion the night before? He's like, man, I'll buy you a hotel room. Don't worry about that. I was like, no, no, no. Like, I just want to be there when everyone gets there in the morning. And, uh, I, you know, I'm going to get in there late. We got in like two. Uh, the first guy showed up at like 630. So I just sprung up. I was already in my clothes. It's me, my wife, and Corey from JCR Road. And, you know, we had everything that we take when we go overlanding. We had our hammocks. We had our uh, stuff to make coffee and breakfast. And, uh, and it was great. Um, so if you had that little bit of extra knowledge and gear that some of the overland people are using, uh, you can use it to your advantage. And also there's no reason why, uh, you can't be an overlander or a rock crawler or, and a rock crawler or, or one or the other. Uh, you can build a vehicle for overlanding and still be able to rock crawl to some degree. And you can build a rock crawl rig that you can take overlanding to some degree. Uh, and, and when I've been building my LJ, I've been building with both in mind. So I want to be able to, I call it, uh, you know, like over rocking or rock landing, but I want to be able to get over some really serious obstacles, but I want to be able to uh, cover a lot of ground. And, uh, like I said, I've driven my LJ to South Dakota, which wasn't that successful, but I've driven it recently to North Carolina and, uh, and did some off-roading and made it back successfully. And, uh, so I like to keep that stuff in mind. A lot of overland guys, um, look into things like, uh, survival. They look into bushcraft. They look into, uh, first aid. They look into storage solutions to be able to carry the most amount of gears. They think about weight. A lot of overland guys are into hiking. So, uh, that, you know, uh, they might get to an area that they want to drive to and then they'll hike. So they have the gear, the appropriate clothing. You, I mean, you'll see a lot of these guys spending a lot of money on knives and, and the clothing that they wear and the boots they wear. And they do a lot of research on the gear that they take with them. Um, and from the outside, it may seem silly. It might seem like these guys are way over prepared and they're just car camping. And in most situations, they are over prepared, but that is totally on purpose because you just never know what's going to happen. And as we talked about earlier, the definition is being self-reliant. So if you're going out by yourself and, uh, and you're riding, uh, and you have a situation where maybe, well, 
recently I was watching uh, Chris Shantz, Shantz, I hope I pronounced his name right, from uh, uh, Venture Forward or Venture Forward Drive, however you want to spell it. And uh, he's on YouTube. And uh, he was uh, up in Canada and he uh, flipped his, his Jeep. And thankfully a guy came down the road and flipped him back over uh, and, and pulled him back over on it. But had he not, he, it was a cold place. Uh, he was wet and he was in a very remote area. He would have had to survive that night. And he typically sleeps in a rooftop tent. Well, the most of the Jeep was submerged underwater and there's no way he could have deployed the rooftop tent. He couldn't have slept in the Jeep. Most of his gear was wet. He would have really been in trouble. Thankfully though, he had quite a bit of gear, uh, and I think he would have been okay overnight. Uh, he probably would have been able to start a fire. He probably would have been able to make a shelter. He uh, has sleeping bags, so he could at least slept on the ground. But having that gear and having that knowledge, and I mean, this is a guy that he actually solo overlands by himself for six to eight months at a time. Uh, having that knowledge and, you know, anything, and he was just, excuse, he was just driving around a corner on a road and happened to go down into a ditch and it, and it submerged in some water and kind of flopped on its side. But Mm -hmm. you just never know when you're going to get into one of those situations. And so even as a rock crawler or just someone who occasionally goes off roading to maybe watch some of those videos and gain some knowledge in first aid and in camping, me personally, I like camping, you know, obviously as a kid and then growing up and, and I look at camping as a separate thing that I like to do. But what I've been able to do is I've been able to incorporate it into jeeping. Uh, and then I incorporated those same skills into hunting and into fishing. And so some of the, a lot of the outdoor activities that I do, I'm able to bring the same gear across it. So when I'm buying a knife, I'm buying a knife that I'll skin my deer with, but I'll also use it uh, for bushcraft and also use it for uh, just preparing stuff in camp after it's been sanitized. And, uh, uh, it's just, you know, so all, a lot of the gear, the, uh, off-road trailer I use, I use to haul wood, but I also use it, uh, to camp in for hunting season and to camp in for overlanding. So, <coughs> excuse me. So there's a lot of, um, ways that these things cross over and, and this podcast isn't really meant to try to convince you to get into overlanding. There's a lot of people getting into it. It's kind of to bring light to something that you may already know, but you're seeing a lot of companies like JCR Road now has Victory 4x4. You're seeing a lot of companies making parts. ARB's been making parts for a long, long time for for uh, overlanders. But you'll see more overlanding videos, more discussions. Overland Expo East and West is a huge event that's going on in the United States now. And more people overland across the world than, than pretty much any other form of off-roading. And it's more prevalent. It's more common. It, you can literally overland almost anywhere versus rock crawling, you know, so, uh, or off-road, however you want to think about it, but extreme off-roading versus just basic overlanding. And again, overlanding gets hairy at times. Uh, some trails are more difficult than others. Uh, basically the trip that we're planning for Colorado in the fall would be, I would categorize it as overlanding, <coughs> but there's some serious sections that are, could be treacherous and deadly. Um, in the Ure and, and Black Bear uh, Pass area. Uh, it's just, uh, there's all sorts of things you can encounter. But I just want to um, put this information out as a little bit of education, a little bit of opinion. But uh, for those that don't think that much about overlanding, 
uh, or they, they see it from the outside views looking in. They're like, what's going on there? This seems like a bunch of, uh, uh, boy scout nerds who are getting into Jeeps and they're not really building them the same way. Uh, and a lot of those guys, they look at the other side of the coin. They're looking at, look at these Wrangler guys that they've got five inches of lift and they've got forties and they're not going to be able to go long distances. You know, like people look, people judge both ways and I don't judge either way. Like, you know, your vehicle is your expression and you can do whatever you want with it. But I love looking at vehicles from a standpoint of, uh, not just, uh, form, but function. And I love that about overland guys is they're usually into the function side of things. And, uh, and, they are typically uh, people who come very prepared as far as uh, the, the food they bring, the gear that they have for recovery, the gear they have to be self-reliant to sleep in the woods for a couple of days. They typically have, you know, extra water, extra fuel. And, uh, the, and those are all things you can research, watch videos and things like that about if you're not into overlanding. From the other side of the coin, this is an opinion that may upset a few, but the couple times I've gone out with overlanding groups, they have to be some of the worst I've ever uh, wheeled with. Uh, when I've rode with people who that do rock crawling, uh, uh, more, more often, uh, they tend to know how to spot. They tend to know how to pick a line. They tend to know how to properly recover. <coughs> I've seen some of the worst, recovery from overlanders i've seen bad lines chosen i've seen throttle used when it's not needed to be used i've seen uh traction boards and uh traction devices used that weren't necessary or uh weren't used properly uh i've seen them have to stop to communicate communication's a big thing in 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 both you know rock crawling and overlanding but uh having communication issues and, uh, just being slow on the trail and that's not every overland group. And I know that does not apply to everyone. And, uh, those that have gone overlanding with, I apologize. I'm not necessarily calling you out. There's just been a few trips that I went on and I'm like, why is it like this? But I think, um, for the most part, those guys practice the camping, the self-reliance. They, they are, uh, they do a great job of doing their homework on the gear and then when it gets into the off-roading, that's something that they're typically new to. Uh, and maybe a lot of the trails they ride are on the easy side and they're, they're more for the views and the sights and the, the food. There's a lot of people that go out just to cook. I love cooking, uh, and being outdoors and, uh, camp cooking, that kind of thing. So, uh, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying those are some of the things that do exist. And, and rock crawlers typically think of overlanders as people who can't off-road. And, you know, there's, there's stereotypes that go both ways, but to me, I found great people in, in all of it. And there's a lot of use in all of it. And I, uh, I've been diving in a lot more to overlanding black bear off-road, I've almost uh, at one point changed the name to Black Bear Overland and maybe one day I'll do something separate like that. But uh, that's why if you go to blackbearoffroad.com, my website, I have tons of different gear on there from uh, parts for your Jeep to winches, but also to like knives and camping gear and survival and first aid because uh, I want to build a website that has both. And, and there are websites that have that that do exist, but they're not as big. So like, um, they'll have a few items for each category 
uh, where I'm trying to be not Walmart, but maybe like the REI or uh, Target or, you know, smaller, not even that big, more boutique. <coughs> but I have a lot of different varieties. So not only could you buy your winch or your front bumper or your suspension lift, but you could buy your next bushcraft knife or maybe your next hammock or rooftop tent from me. Um, and then it's all in one place and that, you know, it's uh, my opinion that the, the product that I have listed is good quality. Uh, I do weed through, uh, the choices that I make when I put them on the website. So, um, that's kind of my direction. I, as far as jeeping and actually automobiles, uh, the automotive industry, I am 110% in. And so I watch hot rod videos. I watch, uh, uh, any kind of automotive thing. I'm into drifting, but as far as what I, my actions say, I go overlanding just as much as I go rock crawling, if not more. Uh, I go camping quite a lot. I go hunting and fishing quite a lot. <coughs> I do apologize. Um, <coughs> I get a little scratch in my throat. I'm going to wrap this up because my throat's getting kind of dry, but, uh, my actions, uh, I've been buying more and more overlanding gear. And as, uh, my family's growing, I can see myself getting more and more into overlanding because with rock crawling, there's times that I put myself in positions where I may flip the Jeep and I just, I'm not quite, uh, at the point where I'm comfortable putting my family through that kind of situation and potentially endangering their lives just to get, just to get over an obstacle. And, uh, we're not at the position where I can say, get out of the vehicle so I can go over the obstacle. So, um, you know, overlanding makes it where I can take us on a nice, you know, 10, 15, 20 mile ride. Even I've even come up with a 50 mile ride recently that I've put on our blog on Blackberry Offroad called the old man boot route. And, uh, I can, you know, and take my family riding all day. We can camp, we can have a nice dinner. We can look at the stars. We can tell stories. Uh, we can all go to sleep and enjoy it the next day. And, uh, I don't stay up at night worrying as much about when I'm going to be headed to, um, you know, somewhere that's a little bit more aggressive or extreme. I love both of them, but I love being able to share my passion with my family. And as they get older, I'll be able to do that. And to me, that's where I find the value in overlanding. But also I found that there's more trails that I just like riding and being out uh, off pavement. It's just fun for me um, to be out there. And I just like to be in the mountains. I like to be in the woods. I like to be, you know, on sand or wherever. I like to just have my tires somewhere other than pavement. I love to see it, to be outdoors and see wildlife. So <coughs> overlanding can get you there. It's something fantastic to do a little research and history on. And, and there's a lot of videos on YouTube about overlanding. You'll see some more coming from me in the future. Um, but right now with everything going on with coronavirus, and it sounds like I have coronavirus from the way I'm coughing, but no fever, no fever's going on. I got just a little itch or scratch in my throat. I just need a glass of water, but I appreciate you guys listening. I know this was kind of long winded and there's a lot of information in it and, uh, it's not as organized as some of the ones I do, but it's, uh, something that's newer to me over the last two or three years. So I don't speak on it with as much authority, but I do speak on it from my perspective. So I do appreciate you guys listening. And as always, we'll be seeing you.